weekend wasn't it unless you were uh unless you had the number one bracket at freight waves because mine's dead in the water now most picks did you have that who thought like florida atlantic would go through crazy stuff but you know what i've been in the south for for too long it's it's rubbing off on the uh northeaster on me i think i'm almost like a fully convert now and it's rubbing off on my kids this weekend we went to a monster truck rally in chattanooga took my six-year-old and my eight-year-old, it wasn't like like Monster Jam. Like, take a look at this. It wasn't like Grave Digger, but they had Toxic, and he was pretty cool. You could do some wheelies over here. And the nice thing was, everyone was warning me before I went. They said, if this thing is indoors, and you want your kids to be able to hear past the age of 10, make sure you bring some headphones, uh, some earplugs. But fortunately, this was uh, this was right outside. It was a good time. And, you know, in my head, I, I you know, I, I have so many preconceptions. I figured it would look like, like a South Park episode or something. No, nah, it was just normal people having a good time watching monster trucks speaking of monsters me and my eight-year-old we finally finished it take a look at the beauty and the grandeur of the 9090 piece lego titanic i mean this this set is epic it's a history lesson in a box some people thought i was crazy for getting this one but i'm like look dude if i can get an eight-year-old to focus on this thing and build this thing with 9090 pieces this thing took like weeks to finish to focus on to build to put his thought in to learn about rose and jack's tragic journey across the ocean that ended on april 15th 1912 it was a good time i highly recommend that build and i've built a lot of legos before and i gotta say the building style on that one not repetitive some of the larger sets like i built the atat -AT walker fantastic but those legs man oh my god those legs but when you're getting in the titanic it's so many different build styles but i know what you all want to know does it float let's find out Yes, I didn't test this myself. I let some random YouTuber do it. And it does. <laughs> it does. I'm not, I'm still not putting in my bathtub, but I think it uh I think it looks great. Anyways, we got an awesome show for you today. We're gonna be talking to ArcBest about their brand new Vox system. It promises to unload trailers within five minutes. Five minutes, amazing. Uh, we're gonna learn about what double bro, we're gonna learn about what's wrong with load boards. You got double brokers on there, ghost loads, scams, all sorts of stuff. Freightways, JP Hampstead, uh, he's got his axe out and he's ready to talk about it. We got HDVI co-founder Reed Spit. He's Spitz, he's gonna talk about helping fleets leverage their telematics and everything is logistics, Blythe Brumlevy. She's gonna talk about freight marketing, a little bit of how AI's working, the good and the bad. And you know, we'll probably talk about Mandalorian because we're both nerds too. So let's get to it. Supply chain challenges are not always easy, but the commitment from the team at Dunavant Logistics to take on the responsibilities unwavering. Dunavant, logistically speaking, they're at the center of it all. Visit them at Dunavant.com. But right now, let's talk to Reed Spitz. He's the co-founder over at HDVI. Reed, good morning. Hey, Junior, great to see you. Thanks for having me on this morning. Where are you? Uh, where are you coming in from? What part of the world are you sitting at? I live in Miami, so uh, nice sunny South Florida. Nice. What's the largest Lego set you've ever built? Definitely nothing like that Titanic. I think I maybe had some small sets as a kid, but uh, that was pretty impressive. <laughs> it was. It was a good time. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, you'll need a small loan to get one, and interest rates are bad, so we may want to wait for them to come down. 
But um, it was pretty cool. Now, you we first connected a couple weeks ago, and um, it just so happened you were in town in Chattanooga on Thursday. So you came on one of our other shows, but I started to look into your background, your story, and uh, you're one of the co-founders over at HGVI. So why don't you tell us firsthand, what is the company and why did you guys found it? Yeah, so HDVI is an insure tech. We're building an insurance company from the ground up that is centric around telematics and data and everything that we do uh, in the trucking space. And uh, we use that telematics on board to provide a much better insurance product and uh, experience to our customers. And we provide up to 20% discounts on a monthly basis uh, based on safety. What led me into starting the company, I used to be uh, in the technology investment space. I was uh, working in a venture capital firm on the West Coast called 8VC, which is a uh, fairly large investor in the uh, freight and logistics industry. And I was working on some uh, deals and investments in that space, as well as PNC insurance, and just recognized an opportunity to bring a much better insurance product to this uh, part of the industry, which really hasn't seen a lot of innovation in about 50 years. Going back to the Titanic, that... Um, you know, the the, uh, the the start of insurance was really from uh, shipping and uh, maritime, and that's really where insurance comes from. And there's a much better opportunity now at the trucking space to bring a better insurance product. And so I brought my co-founder on board. He was one of the co-founders of eSurance back in 1999, uh, helped build that company from, you know, zero dollars and five slides and a good idea to approaching a billion dollars in premium when he left. And we started the company together five years ago, and we're uh, we're well off and uh, on our way now. Nice. I'm always curious why the name, why HDVI. Yeah, it's a great question. HDVI stands for High Definition Vehicle Insurance, and the really the origin of the name is because the way the market looks at risk today is what we call the standard definition view. So they'll look at things like losses and routes and drivers, but they'll look at them in a very standard definition view. So, for instance, routes. You might see the FMCSA inspections on a map that uh, you know a truck might get inspected one or two times a year, uh, or drivers. You might look at an MBR, which might have a violation again once or, once or twice a year. Whereas if you can leverage telematics, you can get a much higher definition view of what is actually happening with the risk and be able to provide a much better price and product and personalized product for that trucking company. And that may actually be able to offer a much, much better price um, for that transportation risk than uh, the standard definition view of the market would be able to take. So that's the, uh, that's the founding of the name. So let me ask you, how are people mismanaging their risk right now, especially insofar as telematics go, that you're filling in that gap? Yeah, so um, you know, uh, trucking companies make a lot of investment in their telematics devices and often don't get really the full value out of those telematics devices. They tell us all the time, I don't really know what data I'm supposed to be looking at. Uh, I don't really, you know, can't fully figure out how to monetize or get full value out of my telematics. And that is really where we come in, is we help fleets show them exact, we show them exactly uh, what they can do on a monthly basis to save on their insurance costs. We have a telematics-based model based on 3.5 billion miles of trucking data, which we've now uh, put into practice with over 100 million miles of driving. And we are able to show fleets like a credit score. Here are the things that you can do on a monthly basis to help you actually save on your insurance costs, your speeding, your harsh braking, where you're driving, how you're driving, and so forth, and, and helping them really get the full value of out of those telematics devices, as well as showing them exactly where the pockets of risk are within their fleet so that they can you know, optimize their, uh, their attention and focus on the things that really matter. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the things that really matter for a lot of fleets right now are things like nuclear verdicts, you know, just getting getting hammered. You're at risk, get a big target with a big logo on the side of it when you're driving down the road in a truck. Um, how, how should fleets uh, approach you? How do, if they're not using their telematics properly, if they're, if they're not if they're not managing the risk properly, how do they get uh, involved with someone like HDVI? Yeah, so of course, you know, one of the ways that uh, we help fleets is we provide them with uh, dash cams. We supply them with dash cams if they don't have dash cams already, and then we will subsidize them um, for their dash cams. We, you know, with respect to nuclear verdicts, um, you know, we have seen a precipitous rise in, in you know, nuclear verdicts uh, over the last, say, 10 years um, what I think trucking companies really need to understand is it's not just the nuclear verdicts that are really the threat to their businesses. It's the fact that nuclear ver- verdicts have really brought up the overall cost of insurance because um, in, in brought, brought up the cost of those lower layers of insurance as well. So up to a million dollars has gotten a lot more expensive because of the litig- uh, litigation environment and the plaintiff attorneys that have really recognized that you know, there is an opportunity there for them to um, use the reptile theory and, and go after trucking companies. So, you know, the best thing that trucking companies can do to uh, fight that in court is to, of course, A, prevent accidents from happening in the first place. And that's a big part of how we help is trying to prevent accidents from happening in the first place. The best kind of accident is the accident that never happened. But then when there is an accident, being able to demonstrate in court that they did all the steps that were necessary to show that they fully mitigated the risk. They were coaching drivers. They were, you know, not asleep at the wheel, uh, metaphorically, right, uh, in terms of managing the risk within the fleet. And they, they were really on top of it. And then using the telematics data to also reconstruct the accident or uh, better manage the outcome of the claim so that we can, uh, you know, so that, they, so that they don't have to go to court as often. They know when they weren't at fault um, and they know when they were and, they, and we can try to sell those. Uh, more quickly. So there's a lot that trucking companies can do to be much more proactive in the use of their telematics with respect to nuclear and sub-nuclear verdicts. How much are, have insurance premiums escalated significantly over the past five years? Yes. So we have seen a, a, a quite a large rise in insurance premiums. The latest AFSCME report shows a 47% rise in insurance premiums over the last 10 years. Wow. And the small trucking companies pay three times more uh, than the than the large trucking companies in terms of their uh, you know insurance premium costs. So there has been a precipitous rise in insurance premiums, and uh, we continue you know we expect to see some of the, those costs continue to rise. Um, you know for at least a part you know part of the market we'll see a continued rise in insurance rates for a few reasons. One, social inflation, which is things like nuclear verdicts, uh, and that conti- that trend continuing, as well as inflation now um, on top of the social inflation. Um, the benefit that we do see for motor carriers in the market today is that there are a couple of new market entrants that bring that are bringing new insurance capacity as well as technology. Technology is inherently deflationary and bringing some relief to that um, to that insurance rate increase. So what I think we'll actually ultimately see is a bifurcation, a further bifurcation in the market where the better risks and the more safer fleets are going to start seeing some relief on their insurance premium with companies like HDVI that can give them these discounts for being safer. And then the less safe fleets are going to see even more insurance increase than they've seen over the last 10 years. Well, very cool. Reed, people who want to learn more about HDVI, they want to go on this journey with you, they want to get their telematics in order, or they're just, you know, staying up at night worrying about verdicts. Where do I send them to? 
Well, they can certainly come find us at our website at hdbi.com. We also work with uh, retail uh, agents across the country so they can ask their local truck insurance agent about us and uh, and they can find us that way. So um, either way, they can get in touch with us. Do you have like a, a Geico tag? Am I going to lose like, am I going to save 30% <laughs> or more if I contact you? Uh, you know, we, we need to get a Geico tag, I, I guess. Um, okay. maybe, maybe we'll, we'll workshop on that with the, uh, you know, as we're building our Lego sets. Gotcha. Thank you very much, Reed. Take care, brother. Thanks a lot, dinner. Take it easy. All right. Meanwhile, it's a bird dog in a bird store. <laughs> My lab would do the, uh, the same exact thing. I wonder if they got them one. They would drive you insane. I had like birds as a kid and uh, my mom said they got away, but I have this theory that she might've left the cage open. You have birds as kids, JP? Uh, no, my uh, neighbor had like a parakeet named Squeezie yeah. though. The, the Italians, they, they think that they're cursed. Like in the North Shore in Massachusetts, anytime you bring a bird up to someone who's Italian, they'd be like, don't keep birds in this house. <laughs> <laughs> they're really messy. Uh, and they, they, they like to, I remember my neighbor's uh, bird would like nibble on my ear and like climb all around me. It was, it was, we, were, we were cat people though. I need I, like if I was a, if I was a trucker, I think I'd, I'd be a parrot guy. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Guy. By yeah. the way, this is John Paul Hampstead, a strategic analyst at Freightways, a what the truck original. He's been with the company for a very long time, but he's got an axe to grind right now. He's got an axe to grind with load boards. He says they're broken, and you know what? The comments on social media and uh, the comments on your article and what I hear people saying, I I would be inclined to agree with you. Yeah, um, it was you know it's uh, an issue that a lot of people are familiar with, especially if you're, you know, a small carrier or a broker and you um, have to move freight through load boards. Um, but the article was really just highlighting these structural issues. One of them um, being ghost loads where brokers, it's almost standard operating practice in many brokerages to post loads um, multiple times to multiple boards. Once it gets covered, those old posts are never taken down, mm. which ends up skewing volume statistics and, and you know, sort of data uh, derived from the load boards. A lot of people, um, enter uh, false or misleading origin destination information to um, game like the searches of the carriers when they're, which, you know, <laughs> is somewhat understandable. Like it can be taken too far. Yeah. Right? Like people aren't necessarily searching for like, you know, obscure Atlanta suburbs. They might be searching for Atlanta and like you, you might want to like make your lobby a little bit more visible, but it's, it's gone on where it's like, okay, no, this, this uh, origin is 150 miles away from where it's supposed yeah. to be in the middle of nowhere. I don't want to go there. Um, we got like algorithmic gaming. Go Like you see this in so many other pieces of tech, the algorithmic gaming. And I guess it's natural it would move into load boards. I mean, we were talking recently about how there's like ghost kitchens now. So there's a yep. couple like Chili's, for example. There's Chili's, but then they double broker their own wings and they have like their own wing name that they sell it under completely different marketing on Uber Eats. Wow. Wow. And there, yeah, there's like... <laughs> and there's like a Mr. Beast as well, right? That's yeah. like the huge, uh, ghost, huge ghost kitchen. Yeah, uh, Mr. Beast Burger. Um, but uh, yeah, so like there's so many things about free procurement that are broken. Like like obviously we, we you can talk about the RFP process and the way that like contract rates devolve into paper rates and don't hang, you know, don't stand up through the cycle and things like that. But what I was interested in is the way that some new startups are using technology to try to increase sort of the market uh, integrity of load boards. And basically what that means is, um, you know, vetting carriers, making sure that carriers are actually carriers and, and, um, integrating directly to broker TMSs instead of having, you know, um, sort of like a carrier rep, like just posting a load, um, entering whatever metadata he wants to on that load and, and, and you know, trying to sort of trick someone into responding to his like, you know, wanted ad. Um, it, it pulls loads directly from the TMS, 
Um, all, all the data is complete, it's automated, there's no room for sort of human gamesmanship or error. And it's kind of, the marketplace is sort of vetted on both sides, right? And that just um, increases the efficiency and, and gets rid of a lot of wasted time. So I gotta so why isn't the onus on the load boards? This comes up all the time. Why aren't they policing these listings? Why is everyone having these problems with, with double brokers? And there's also like ghost loads that companies put up themselves to see if double brokers are jumping in and reposting it. They're putting their own dummy loads up to try and catch people. So it's it's like it's almost the wild west that it's turning into there. It is a wild west. And there there are many agents, um, you know, uh the uh, my, my friends in Glendale, California, you know who you are, who, who make a living out of out of double brokering, or or, or something. Um, I don't know exactly, you know, why they don't try to clean up their marketplaces. I do know that they they don't really have strong incentives to. You know, they want to have the appearance of plentiful volume so that small care, you know, so they can sort of hit the credit card of small carriers, uh, you know, one more month, you know, hang in there, everything's turning around, it's looking great, um, there's plenty of good freight for you here. Um, you know, they don't want to, on the one hand, do anything to artificially restrict capacity or, or volume. So it's, 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 I think it's just the way that they're, they're sort of paid, the way that um, these shipments are, uh, are uh, monetized. So here's like the real frustration from some of the users. Here was a comment. It said, the load boards are full of fraud and the boards just let it go on. Even if you complain and send the board proper evidence, paper evidence, they do nothing. You can look at reviews on the board of a company with terrible comments and complaints and the board just lets them keep posting. On and on. So what to do if the load board can be held responsible for damages the brokers and carriers caused to the brokers and carriers by the fraudster, the posting would be stop cold. Do you think that's true? And is it possible to do that? Uh, it's certainly possible. I mean, there, there are definitely ways to, you know, attach IDs to posters um, a lot more carefully to let uh, truckers like rate them to, you know, hide or or prefer uh, postings by reputable people that, that, you know, are connected to actual real world feedback. Um, you know, the, the people uh, I've talked to at, at a number of places, you know, neutral is not the only one, but, you know, they kind of compare load boards to Craigslist and kind of say it's sort of this web 1.0 style technology and that the industry has moved well beyond. And for their own reasons, they haven't uh, made the commitment to to sort of meet the marketplace where it is. And they sort of allow these uh, these games to happen. Well, Bradley Bevins, he made a really interesting point. He said, seriously, are the experts just now deciding that the data that people are basing financial decisions on is basically worthless? Real experts. What's even better are the people who pay extra on their load board subscriptions for the valuable insights. How can this data possibly have any value when they have the same load posted by 47 brokers at least three different ways? Is that a good point about the integrity of data people are using from load boards? Yeah, I mean, it, it is, uh, especially with regard, again, to uh, volume-based metrics like, like load to truck ratios and things like that, which um, sort of swing wildly with market sentiment and aren't reflective of actual, like, you know, de, you know, sort of a supply demand imbalance. But, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I think there are things like, like national average spot rates that are probably, you know, fairly accurate. Um, you're not wrong if you are, you know, sort of uh, trying to gauge the fortunes of a, of a heavily spot exposed carrier and you're looking at like national average spot rates, even if they are, you know, two weeks or a month out of date. Um, it's certainly not a leading indicator, uh, a lagging indicator. I just think that like it's 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 more that it's not that nothing can be relied upon and like everything is fake and you know we're 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 sort of hopelessly thrashing in a hall of mirrors or anything like that. It's more just like we can do better. We can advance the technology. We need to actually 
um, expect more from these marketplaces and um, we can actually use technology to make doing business much easier. Speaking of marketplace and places, digital freight brokerages, load boards, are they in trouble? Is the convoys of the world, the Uber freights of the world, are they in trouble in 2023? Um, I, I wouldn't say that they're, you know, they're in trouble. I mean, I think that they're probably subject to a lot of the same pressures that other 3PLs are, which is namely that uh, net net revenue dollars per load is re- getting really, really thin. And if you have, you know, if you're running, you know, th- th- there were there was a venture capital environment where running a 3PL like a tech company made a lot of sense. Um, that model might now have a much higher operating cost than, um, you know, sort of economical, right? Uh, and so you see you see cuts to uh, technology teams, you see cuts to to marketing and things like that. Um, I, I, I wouldn't count anyone down without a fight. Uh, freight brokers are some of the scrappiest people in, in this country. Um, they normally... Uber, Uber Freight's looking at IPO, aren't they? I heard that. That's kind of a rumor, isn't it? It's a rumor that Uber is looking to, to spin them off. But I, I have, frankly, I don't know a ton of, about that. So if anyone's out there uh, and wants to shoot me an email at jbhampstead at freightways.com, um, we can definitely talk uh, uh, Uber Freight rumors. <laughs> what, what do you think is going to go on in this? Is there, is, are we just going to keep complaining about load boards? Because this is nothing new. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's getting worse, right? What's happening on there, but it's not really anything new. People, These are issues people have been complaining about for a long time, as long as I've been at FreightWaves and prior to being FreightWaves using these actual boards myself. What happens? I mean, I think, I think you know, I, I, I think we can keep complaining about them for a while. Um, I think we can try to push these uh, companies to do better. I think we have, like... You know, my role as sort of a journalist and an industry commentator is to uh, listen to everyone, you know, listen to all the stakeholders and try to, like, facilitate a conversation that can be productive. Um, I think that's that's sort of you know, the best use case for, for B2B media kind of in, in this industry. And that's that's what I try to do. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I stay on the lookout for new solutions and, you know, hope that, hope that things can get better. So Joe Wiesenthal at, at Business Insider, he constructed an AI troll. At Bloomberg. At Bloomberg, sorry, yeah, this yeah. is Insider. Rachel, he's yeah, over yeah, at Bloomberg. Yeah. See, this is why I have JP here, so he can correct me when I say clearly wrong things right next to him. He constructed an AI troll, and and how like if we could make this in freight, how great would this be? So he oh, put man. his prompt was come up with a new type of guy to be mad at online. He should have obtuse political opinions, finds ways to relate news events to his own personal preferences. He's highly confrontational, but only on a narrow set of interests, which describes a lot of people on Twitter, right? <laughs> Actually, at least a lot of uh, a lot of confrontational people on Twitter. Yeah. And this is frightening because this is what Chat GPT came up with, and they nailed it. It said introducing the zealous Zeppelin. This guy is uh, an ultimate source of online annoyance the individual is known for bizarrely specific and overbearing political views which can center around an unwavering passion for dirigibles and all things airship related uh he's infuriatingly uh he's unrelenting he's infuriating talented but he twists every event that happens so like when the train derailed for example in ohio you know this this guy would would say it was because of our lack of zeppelins to bring in release supplies and pull people out are you saying you're not a Hindenburg truther? You know, there are the Jones. There's like like Sal. He's like a he's like the Jones Act version of this. If you yeah. say the Jones Act, you'll summon him, and every anything that happens since will be related through that lens. No, I like this. Um, uh, I know a lot of uh, these type of online guys, unfortunately, um, and you know it's always a struggle. It's uh, something we talk about. Um, uh, having the the sort of the psycho security, uh, the, the the guarding your own mind when you enter these online spaces, and there's so many uh, trolls trying to attack you. Last piece here. What do you think? Just a little forward looking. What do you think AI will do to load boards? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, 
you know, that's... Can it help find these problem ones? Like, if these are so obvious to user eyes, you, could, you I imagine you could train it, or maybe each brokerage or each carrier that's posting loads can sort of train, but then what? Like, who do you find? So the thing, the, thing that I, the thing that I encounter with uh, chat GPT um, written text is that it sounds an awful like the kind of sort of generic marketing yes. blog that I already don't like. Yeah. That's, that's already sort of like ruined Google search and things yeah. like that, right? And so like, I kind of see like, Chad GPT just taking that to infinity. Like and SEO copy style. Yeah, writing. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, because it's sort of like, it's like uh, copy pasta, run through a blender, and then like spit back out. Um, automating that, like, is, you know, not good, uh, in, in my opinion. Um, but for something like a load board, I mean, it might actually be interesting. Like, there may be ways that you could integrate um, a Chad GPT with your. TMS with your email, right? So like this natural language processing technology, I think is actually good um, for people who get, you know, hundreds or thousands of emails a day, like like brokers and carriers uh, sometimes do. So like if there's a way to link up a TMS, your email and the load board and actually have, um, you know, sort of uh, ensure the integrity of, of what's being copied and, and, and make sure that it doesn't make uh, silly mistakes, then, you know, maybe it could be productive. Who knows? Or, or disruptive, like that AI troll. I, I will give ChatGPT credit. They really hit on the nuances of that type of character. And you can see this, like, deployed. You can see, like, bot factories of this deployed just to harass and, and get people out of your radar. Scary times. But, JP, thank you so much for coming back on the show. People who want to read your writing, connect with you, uh, where do they go? Yeah, um, you can go to what freightwaves.com slash news slash author slash JP. That's uh, all of my articles. Um, uh, yeah. Just, that's, just Google John Paul Hampstead Freightwaves. It'll come up much quicker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, thanks for having me on, Dean. Yeah. really appreciate it. Take care, JP. Thanks for coming by the show. All right. Send us the hard stuff. That's what Dunavant Logistics says. When you run into that really challenging logistical nightmare that keeps you up at night, call the good folks over at Dunavant. They make headaches disappear. Visit them at dunavant.com. All right, you know what you want to disappear? Long wait times, especially if you're a driver or you're at a dock or your warehouse. Get this stuff moving in five minutes or less, man. Let's move this like a drive-thru. It's Wade Hansen, Vice President of Business Development over at ArcBest, and they just debuted. I believe it was at Promat, if I'm not mistaken, Wade, right? You showed the Vox system to the world. An exciting show, Tim. Thanks for having us on board. Uh, just left there from last week. Tremendous buzz on the floor about our new technology in the interlogistics space. I, you know, I love the, uh, I love the wall behind you too. They always put you in nice places over at Arcbest. I did look in your background though. I was going to say, man, you're probably like me. You're probably sad that, you know, Woo Pig lost in the, in the tournament, but uh, you're in Arkansas, but you didn't go to uh, University of Arkansas. I did not. Uh, I attended Northwest Missouri State uh, in Northwest Missouri there. Uh, ended up uh, graduating from there in 1993. So, and then started my journey from there. So. Well, great. How, so what is the Vox system? How did you get involved in it? How did people react to it at Promat? Let's start off with what is it? Yeah, so the Vox system is a patented hardware and software that helps optimize the, the, the loading and unloading of the product into the trailer. So when you start to think about the freight movement uh, and things that are happening in the interlogistics space, it really allows us to synchronize, understand what we're moving and really get us further into that interlogistic space for the loading processes. Uh, the response at ProMat, as you kind of you mentioned, it was incredible. You know, we had a lot of great engaging co uh, customer conversations, and we'll be following up with many folks uh, since we left there. So we're looking at it. It looks like um, it looks like a, it looks like a frame, basically, right? Like a freight frame. You you store your frame on here, and then you could just push it right in. How did how is what is happening here? What are we looking at? 
So there you're seeing the swarm loading process, but it is. It's a 26-foot long, two on a 53-foot or one on a 28-foot trailer. That's modular. It helps us understand the customer's needs and how they want to separate their freight to make sure it does not ride on top of one another. It secures it, has a little bit better damage quality in the movement of what's happening in the surface transportation piece. And then it does move around with a system, which we call the Vox MP, is what you're seeing in the Vox MP coupler. That connects into the system and makes it modular to move throughout the warehouse space and allow folks to load to it from 360 degrees, which we call the swarm loading process there, Tim. Interesting. Was that like 3D? Can you load model before you even load? Is that what was happening on that screen? Yeah, that's part of the the Vox OS system. So the software system allows us to understand what the product is and the nature of it, and then optimize using the complete space of the Vox MP, whether it's modular, loose piece, securement, or that. But it allows us to understand what you're loading to, so it's directing fulfillment of the work. Instead of just staging the product there in a staging bay or inside the warehouse, it allows us to understand where the product is, full shipment visibility, and then help direct the loads as we move forward. How long have you been developing this this system? We've been working on this for several years in our own uh, organization. You know, a team of innovators from our organization saw that there was a need in the loading and unloading space. Over the last 12 months, though, we've been really heavily engaged with customers, mutually understanding their networks, where does it fit inside their networks. And it was just time to kind of bring this to market, Tim, to like what else is out there for us and how will we move forward with the customer networks that we are solving for today. So how will you move forward? How is this going to work? How will this integrate into what ArcBest is doing? Well, ArcBest is, we have a pilot going on at our LTL company, uh, ABF, but this is separate. Box is a, uh, a network designed for us to go out and solve for our customer bases. We really have had some significant engagements over the last 12 months. Uh, what we're solving for in automotive, manufacturing, uh, loose piece securement. So we're looking at those dynamic uh, supply chains that customers are trying to solve every day for themselves, those closed loop networks, uh, quick shuttles uh, that customers are trying to solve for. And I think it's really untapped at this moment. We learned a lot last week and through our engagements with customers, uh, the future's looking good for us, Tim. Is it an end-to-end system? So, like, for example, would uh, my warehouse need it, and then would my receiver need the Vox system? What are sort of the logistical back-end? What, what's, like, an ideal Vox setup? Yeah, uh, ideal at the, uh, the current time is we believe it's more of a closed-loop network, uh, DC to DC fulfillment. Uh, we are working on solutions, though, uh, to make sure that customers are able to unload at a facility. So if they wanted to use a vendor uh, network or something to solve for to inject freight into the inbound process or consolidate-type uh, product that sends it back out to a vendor. So we have those solves, and through discovery with our implementation uh, implementation team and our engineers, sit down, build an ROI model out with those customers, and really uh, see where the great fit is for their organization. Now, what type of freight would, like what you didn't see in the video, but also for the audio listeners, you see a lot of boxed up type of freight. Um, <laughs> could you put carpets and wood and, and things like that? What is ideal for the system at this stage? Yeah. You know, when you look at the network, it depends on the configuration of the customer's profile. So we have a solve for 40 by 48 palletized freight or the, you know, challenging to handle configurated freight that it might be a little bit longer, 8, 12 foot long. Uh, we have a diverse network in our LTL network. So we've solved over a long period of time, understanding what those type of securements are going to look like. Uh, and so, you know, reach out, we'll have a conversation. It does not need to be perfect palletized freight, though, to, to be solved in our network. 
And w- what kind of results are you getting? Uh, in, in the video, it looked really quick, but um, I've heard you could maybe take like a, an hour or a 45 minute loading job and cut that down to approximately five minutes. Yeah, if you think about the unloading process, Tim, you know, if you have one worker, it has not really changed over the last 100 years since the invention of the forklift. It's one pallet at a time, back and forth, cross loading. We're able to bring the entire contents out of the trailer out in minutes. Then we have a 360 degree that you can have multiple people swarm unload the process. So if you think about how we're unloading the product, once you get that out, it'll take minutes to get access to the freight, which uh, has really changed and sped up for our customers and our, and our solves over the last year. And when you think about this system, because this is something that's like, no, this isn't just something that's going to set at ArcBest. This is something we want our partners to be using. What is the scale of this? Like, how many are you deploying? What's the what's sort of the forward-looking plan for 2023 with Vox? Yeah, you know, as the launch of ProMat, we had a, a great show, and we're really excited about it. Uh, the launch that came out in March, we're vetting through that. So if folks are very interested, they could come to ARCB backslash Vox.com and kind of vet out and send through there. But we are looking through the solves of what we're doing with customers uh, in 2023 and beyond. Uh, We feel we have a good roadmap and scalability uh, if it makes sense for customers to inject this into their network. So reach out and we'll definitely have a a discovery uh, call with you. Cool. And what is the, walk me through like a shipment. Say I got a load in my warehouse. I've just got my Vox system. Walk me through the, the start to finish of how I would actually use it. So, you know, if you think about where it's at in the process, whether you're going to inject it in your current network today or if we do a little bit more of a solve, there's some things that we, you know, customers want to change the way in which they're loading today. You know, with the modulability of what happens with the MP, uh, we can move it further up into the warehouse where they're actually picking to it and then they run that, you know, box MP into the trailer quickly as they as they move forward you know you think about what took hours from a staging process is now down to minutes so the pick to the platform and some of those solves that we'll have for you so then once it is ingested into a trailer whether it is a live load uh two on a 53 footer it will then move to the other side where there'll be a live unload on the other end so you're actually able to source capacity a little bit different in the network as you start to solve for this you know when i look at something like this too if i'm running a warehouse and I've got, a, I've got a big company where things like this matter. You have to understand that other people are going to start using this and time is money. Now, we hear so much about the inefficient warehouses where drivers wait forever and nothing gets loaded. Fine, you know, they, they have their own issues, but the ones that want to get better and they want to be quicker, they're getting that much quicker. That competitive advantage is changing. Yeah, 100% accurate in that comment. You know, you think about who we're solving with. That was a lot of commentary this week. We had several, I would say thousands of people joining us at the booth. And it was really about how can we change the outcome of how we can quickly get our product picked, staged, and loaded. Uh, And so those individuals that are out there that are looking at this process today and want to find different ways to do it, this is one way. And that that technology of having multiple loaders load and unload the trailer in minutes and then just understanding how you stage that product to reduce that touch. It's about, you know, reduction of damage or reduction in the number of loads that are are staged and then have to be worked again to load to either a live trailer or a spotted trailer. This helps solve for that as we kind of move forward with those individual customers. What are the aspirations with this? When you look at this, do you go, hey, this is something where it's so game changing that by the end of the decade, people are going to look at the way we used to put freight and be like, wow, I can't believe they did that. Or is it something that, you know, it's freight, it's fragmented, it's something we got to scale, scale up. What are sort of the, the aspirations? 
I think aspirations is just changing in the thought process of how trailers are loaded and unloaded today. Uh, we understand that there are very unique supply chains out there that we have to solve for uh, based on what, you know, our innovators thought about the process and, you know, that 2D loading front to back has taken place for over multiple decades. We believe that there is a different way to do this in the trailer processing of loading and unloading, and then really inserting further back up into the warehouse space. You know, it's a true bridge between surface transportation and intra logistics, and, and we're putting that together with shipment visibility and the optimization. So we believe that there is a new solve, and, and we'll, you know, we believe we could go forward with that as how this is adopted in the market. Wade, I think it's really cool. Best of luck with it. I hope everybody starts using them, especially if I'm a driver waiting and I want to get my tail moving back on the road. In the meantime, people people want to see a demo. They want to talk to you more about if it fits into what they need. They want to create that closed loop system, as you mentioned. Where do I send them to? I think you send them to ARCB backslash Vox.com or Vox.com. Uh, there is some more information on the site, but if you could definitely fill out and complete uh, uh, the vetting form, we'll work through that or reach out. Uh, you have my email uh, at whansonarcbtech.com, and we'll definitely respond uh, quickly. Uh, we're excited about the new opportunities that are in front of us, but would love to have further discovery. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Take care. Take it easy. Wow. Really cool. A lot of tech on this show, too. Take care, Wade. All right, let's bring up Blythe. Here she is. Founder. Everything is logistics. What's up, Blythe? How you doing? You're like you're kind of like the Bo-Katana of freight. Oh, I like that comparison because <laughs> she's been one of the, the bright, shining moments of the new Mandalorian season, which I know we're going we're gonna to talk about. Yes, well, I was happy that that... <laughs> so my kids, like, their sort of love for Star Wars. They're six and eight. Uh, the, the last movie, it kind of... It, it left them feeling empty and it left them feeling cold. And they were getting into, like, Pokemon and they were getting into other stuff. And I'm like, man, come back to Star Wars. But what happened is I got them really into the prequels. They started watching that. They started watching the Clone Wars. So now they know all the characters. And now, like, by the time they get to this season of The Mandalorian, they know who all of these, these people are. Which is an interesting, what do you think of this season? Because I've heard some people criticize it and say it seems like a video game where it's just a bunch of side quests. Well, I, I think that's how the show originally started, was it yeah. was just one episode that was kind of just, you know, secluded to, to that one, you know, 30, 40 minutes long of whatever that episode was covering. And so for this season, I, yeah. I think where they're starting off slow is because of those two episodes from Boba Fett. You know, Boba Fett had his series back in December, and there were two episodes of his yeah. series that he did not appear once whatsoever. And it was a Mandalorian essentially show. And with those, the the things that happened in those episodes, which I won't you know spoil for anybody who hasn't seen them yet, that you have to watch them before this show. And I think that that's sort of the the, the biggest. I guess, issue with Disney Plus shows in general is that people don't know what they have to watch ahead of time and they don't know what's connected. And so I think for a, a lot of these, especially on, on the Marvel side of things, but on the Disney side of things, I just don't think that fans are used to having to go to a streaming channel in order to watch a Star Wars show. And I think that that's where, you know, that there's a little bit of a missing uh, than a stat or missing the bigger storylines that have happened in other shows that then set up this show. And I think that that's kind of a bad thing for Disney, but it, it, there have been some moments that I of course love. Um, and, and I don't know how much further, you know, this show is really going to be able to capitalize off of just, you know, the, the cuteness of, of Grogu. Well, how about Titanic? But in the, uh, Jack and Rose spots, we have Ray and Kylo. 
I not I I I'm, God please don't come for me on the internet. So, but I am not a Raylo or Raylo <laughs> fan. Is that is that what they're called I themselves? So. I. I thought that it was going to be John Boyega and and or Finn and Ray were going to be the couple of the new Star Wars. They hinted at it a lot in you know the the Force Awakens, that first Star Wars movie for kind of the modern generation. They hinted at it a lot, and I thought that that would be the relationship that would come to fruition. But sadly, unfortunately, and and really dumb, they they put you know Finn as a character on the back burner, and kind of for for Ray, I think she became sort of the spotlight. And I love Kylo the character. I just that kiss in the last movie yeah. was the most awkward thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, it was even more awkward. You know, the, the romance in Attack of the Clones is pretty awkward, but, I mean, it makes... It it, 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 it looks like Gone with the Wind compared to, like... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways... It's just it, terrible. <laughs> well, you know, we were talking about... Um, a, actually, I was just talking to JP about AI. We were talking... Joe, Joe from uh, from Bloomberg, he he put a prompt in there, and he was like, make a really annoying, like, Twitter character, someone who is really into Zeppelins, and, like, any political thing that happens relate back to that. And um, it's like, wow, that's frightening if you weaponize that and turned a bunch of bots into that, because they're not just bots putting, like, a campaign slogan or, like, the typical sort of, like, social war commentary. They actually are pretty nuanced in how they can annoy you. Um, but let's bring it to the context of freight. We've all used some of the tools. Some results are good. Some results have like, you know, 11 fingers on one hand. What's good and what's bad out there, Blythe? So uh, with, uh, a few things that, that come to mind that is good now, because I was right there with you with a lot of the, you know, the chat GPT discussion that a lot of the outputs is just a little... Uh, just, you know, bare bones minimum, I guess, as far as like publishing content online. But with the recent release of ChatGPT4 and also another company called uh, Mid Journey 5, both of those tools I've used pretty heavily throughout the, the course of their lifetime from launch until now. And ChatGPT4 and Mid Journey 5, which for folks who don't know, ChatGPT4 is more of an, uh, a, a language model that you can have a conversation with and that you can train it based on different languages. Mid Journey 5 is an image generator. So similar to uh, Stable Diffusion or similar to uh, Dolly, and which is Dolly is another open AI company which also owns ChatGPT. So I'm kind of a fan of Mid Journey 5 and then also ChatGPT4 because the outputs that they have been giving me are, are so much better light years better than what was that I was experiencing on previous versions and so using these tools I've been able to you know speed up the rewrite blog articles that I had from 2018 that I've been meaning to rewrite with more updated information especially around you know re regulatory issues and things like that and a lot of it has been pretty accurate like not everything is a uh, hundred percent accurate you still have to add a little bit of nuance to it but it is really getting there to the point where it was about four 40% quality, I would say before, but now it's more or less around that 85% of, I can get this, I can, if you give it to me at 80%, I can get it to where I'm comfortable with publishing it at that 100%. Yeah, it seems like at the moment where it's really kind of hammering is the need for some of the outsourcing you do through a thing like Fiverr, where it's like, I need a quick graphic mocked up, or I need a quick rewrite of this. Maybe not anything really intensive yet. You're not going to put your entire marketing campaign behind it. Uh, you're going to have to do a lot of, re you're not going to do a research paper because you're going to spend just as much time making sure chat, B chat GPT put out the right output. But um, it's obvious where this is going, right? And it's clear that there's obviously some uses right now. What would you tell people to stay away from though? Where should they not be spending their money on these tools? I would say um, adopting annual licenses right now for a variety of tools, because at the rate that this is accelerating, you know, I, I almost see, and I, I heard this comparison and I, I 
forgive the uh, sorry to the creator who, who came up with it, but they see ChatGPT now as almost a WordPress ecosystem because. Also last week during the announcements, um, the week before was when ChatGPT4 was announced. And so last week they were continuing to make news and, and, and drop significant news. And one of those was the ability to or create your own plugin and also having a plugin store. And so being able to build on top of the language model that ChatGPT4 already provides. So you're thinking like uh, Zapier is one of those where I use it heavily in my business where I, I try to automate between all of the different software tools that I use use. And so being able to have a plugin that can connect between the two of them, I think is, is makes a significant improvement as far as like the single person or the one person workflows or the, you know, the, the founders or small teams that are out there that, that need some quality tools, but don't necessarily know where to invest in. So I think having the plugin market tied to ChatGPT4 is a huge win where I kind of made my first, I guess, sort of AI mistakes is over investing and thinking, wow, this tool is really cool. I'm super, super excited excited for it. And then I, I buy into the annual subscription immediately because it's hyper discounted. But now a lot of those tools are obsolete in my workflow because I can now consolidate with some of my tools, whereas I don't necessarily need, you know, one tool for this purpose, one tool for that purpose. There's another great example, um, a, a company called Swell AI, which I use religiously now for each one of my podcasts. And what happens is that it transcribes the podcast and then it can create social media posts and uh, show titles and timestamps and all of these different things that used to take me hours to create and have to manually go through for each podcast. Now I can do that at a matter of 30 minutes tops. And that's a game changer for, for somebody who is trying to, you know, put out content in addition to running a business. Interesting. Interesting. Is the rule still true that funny, interesting, will 10x uh, trying to sound smart? I think it's more along the lines of edutainment. That, that's where I yeah. kind of, you know, picture it as. You have to be somewhat engaging and you have to share cool things that you've learned. And I think that 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 having that that smart way or entertaining way to convey that message is still extremely valuable. So for a lot of these, you know, AI tools, they're not very funny, no. but if you tell them to write it a joke or, you know, be a little creative. And I think that that's where the human magic still is involved and still is required because like I said before, these tools can get you, you know, 70% of the way, 80% of the way, and then you can take it from there and really add that nuance and that perspective that a computer, I'm not exactly sure will ever be able to do that, especially when it comes to emotion and empathy. Yeah, because I, mean, I mean, like on LinkedIn, for example, there'll be like all these like 4,000 word like diatribes and they'll have all this data and, and it's like great and all. And it's like, but why, why use so many words when, when few do better, sir. <laughs> that's that's why, like, that could have been a chart. Cause that's the thing. Like, we're, we're, there's so much content that we have to assume. And like, one thing people have to understand is people like shareable stuff. It's not that they just like to know the information. In fact, a lot of the information people like to see is stuff that confirms their bias. It's not new. It's something mm -hmm. they want to send to someone else to say, hey, look how smart I am. Or, hey, what do you know? Or isn't that interesting? And that's the thing you have to understand about human nature. Like, you can give them a, and there's there's value in that stuff. And I'm not saying there, mm -hmm. that there's not, but it's just not usually going to perform as well as making someone feel, making them laugh or making them feel smarter. 
100%. I mean, you have to, the, the hero of the story is, is someone that you still have to keep in mind. And I think for a lot of folks that are publishing to social media, they, they don't, they don't have that part of it grasped yet. And I think that it's still something that you, as a creator, you, you have to remind yourself about, because sometimes you can get too sort of caught up in um, the stuff that you want to learn and the stuff that you mm. want to share. And then how do you channel that into a particular audience that you're trying to attract and that hopefully you're creating content that helps them feel smarter and helps them make, you know, make them look better. And there are other ways that that can be used. Uh, you know, we've seen it in the political sphere where, you know, y y having your biases confirmed will really, you know, sort of propel the message or whatever message you're trying to create. Um, but then in the, the world of AI, we're, we're going to see a lot of the junk that's going to be mass mass created, but it's really going to take that into intellectual person to use it as a tool in your tool belt in order to kick it up a notch for that post to actually resonate and help people learn something, stay curious, or share a factoid by the water cooler with their friends because that's ultimately what does the 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 best on social media over a long period of time. Speaking of social media, let's see what's trending on social media. I got a TikTok here before they. Before they ban it, are you a big fan of trucking oh, TikTok? No. Do you do you do you go there? And you, do you think oh, they're going to ban TikTok? I I I kind of think it's an inevitability. Yeah. I I hope that they force a sale. You can of access Wi-Fi, Blythe. It's dangerous. It can get on your Wi-Fi oh, network. My God. How <laughs> embarrassing is to have our U.S. representatives act this way about technology that has existed for years? It's crazy. It was. It was well, well, roll this tape. This is what's going. And this is why I love social media. This is why I love morning, TikTok. You can get TikTok taken right into what's going on. There are a bunch of drivers that are in Sparks, Nevada right now outside a Tesla location. Let's listen to what this guy has to say. The Tesla, many drivers here have been parked, waiting to get unloaded for almost more than 34 hours, a reset. So the broker's charging $1,000 a day, and we're only getting $200 if, if the broker pay us. So guess what, guys? This is how it starts. And tired. we're tired, man. We're tired of this. The DOT has been hot here in uh, Sparks, Yarrington, and on I-80. You know, so, you know, work is slow. The rates are not great. So everybody is unhooking. And we're all gonna, you know, want answers. We want answers. They need to pay us a thousand bucks, the whole thousand dollars, and hey, we'll stay here four or five days. But if not, okay, we're you, all going bobtail. Let's and stop you know the tape I, for a second. Blade and I will talk about this. So, so Blade, you heard what's going on there. So they're at this thing, and this is typical. A lot of times, this happens to drivers. They're stuck, but this is a, a little bit more extreme. They're stuck there for 34 hours. Rates from the toilet. You always see the spot rates on here. We said it ad nauseum. We're talking about for a year. And these guys are like, they're they're ready to rebel. They're just going to drop their trailers and just bobtail it the hell out of there and and say it. I, I wonder if, you know, these rates are getting bad. At some point, drivers are going to to push back. Absolutely. And, and that's a pl and, and that's a perfect use case, not not to go back to the TikTok conversation. Yeah. But that's a perfect use case of stories that I see on TikTok that I don't see anywhere else. And so for a lot of the momentum, for a lot of, you know, sort of the flack that that legacy media gets in this country, it's deservedly so because they're not covering the issues that 
impact the daily workers that are in the grind, in the trenches every single day. And having the community and seeing the community of Trucking TikTok, even on, on, on Reddit as well, seeing them kind of come together and share their experiences, that's exactly what should be happening. And these, these are the messages that should be getting out into the world that news companies should be covering. And so for, for these kinds of communities, I, I think that having a platform like TikTok is so vital for them to be able to share their experiences of what's going on in the real world. Because how many times has that something like that happened and then it's been pushed under the, or, or you know, just swept under the rug Always. and, you know, a, a PR statement comes out and you never hear anything about it again. When you heard his thing, they, they say they, and, and look, this is, again, this is TikTok, take it with a grain of salt, but these guys, and, you know, so truckers, anybody when they're angry can, can take anything. I don't know where they got the thousand dollars from, but they're hearing that there's a thousand dollar layoff that their broker's charging and they're only getting $200 of it. This is very realistic situation. It's not like, oh, it's a stretch to be like, oh, they're totally making this up. It's like, no, that's the extra part that, uh, that sucks, Blythe. They keep the TikTok around, man. I wish they would sell it, though. Maybe that would make it easier. Maybe they won't. Uh, yeah, it's just such a... It, I mean, I, I, I get it from the lens of, like, the U.S. government that they want to have some kind of... If you're going to be appealing to that many, you know, I think it's 150 million, half of the U.S. population is now using this app on a daily basis. I do understand the fact that you do not want a foreign entity, you know, being able to influence the masses of the population. And I, I totally understand that point. But what... If we're going to talk about data privacy, we need it to expand outside of just TikTok. It needs to be an entire conversation where Facebook is included, Instagram is included, you know, Snapchat is included, all of these other companies that have been selling our data to China, to outside entities, to all of these other different corporations. That's the conversation that I think needs to be had, not, you know, this one app that the government gets, you know, permission to ban because who gets to decide that in the future? Who gets to decide what app is after TikTok that they're going to be banning? And I think that that's where we enter into sort of a dangerous territory when we give that power to a select few people who don't even know how Wi-Fi works. Wi-Fi has been around <laughs> since World War II. I think it might have been invented actually during World War One. And these people who are just as old, damn near, you know, feels like they're just as old, do not know that this kind of technology exists and the basic functionality of it. And these kind of people are deciding on what kind of information hits our airways and hits our eyeballs and ears and, and all of that. And I just find it frightening and I find it incredibly hypocritical. Blythe, I want to give you a new complex about driving down the freeway. Take a look at this orbital launch right here. You see plenty of those in Florida yourself, but this one actually took place in Southern California. KTLA says dash cam footage from a Tesla captured the moment a vehicle on a Southern California freeway ran over a tire that had just come off that raised pickup. And you're going to see it right here. It's going to shoot off the side just as his Kia gets parallel to it. And boom, oh there it goes. God. There it goes. And, and to add insult to injury, when it stops, here comes the tire again to punch it again. <laughs> You want to know something even more amazing? Nobody was injured. That Kia went like 35 feet in the air and, it's, and nobody got hurt. Like, seriously. Wow, that's, that's some Final Destination type stuff, except for you live, dude. I, I don't know how long I would be driving a car after something like that happened. I would just just, just put it in somebody else's hands. I, I gotta agree. Have you ever been in an accident like that? You ever get hit by something uh, just off the side? Um, I have gotten involved in a hit and run before. So I was about 18 years old and the guy, he was, I guess he was on something because the, his car ran into the back of me and then he got out of the car and took off on foot. 
Um, so apparently it was his parents' car and he was, um, uh, you know, partaking in some controlled substances. And so that's essentially mm -hmm. why he took off. But it also was a kind of a blessing in disguise because I went to a chiropractor for the first time and discovered I had scoliosis. So now I can oh. actively like, you know, go and do like yoga stretches in order to combat, you know, some of the back soreness that I, I feel in my 30s. Okay, well, you seemed excited to discover you had scoliosis, but I guess it's good no, to have a... No, it wasn't all that exciting. Well, <laughs> but at least I know, and I can, uh, I, I can actually, you know, you know, do treatment for it to, to fix, you know, the bad back. All right, well, bad batch. Excavator savior. Let's take a look at this one. Blythe, do you think this excavator can save the dog? Place your bets here. It better. It seriously has to. Do you think I would show this video if it didn't? I mean, uh, yeah, I was going to say, why would you show this if he doesn't? <laughs> the dog got, the dog got mauled. What a good boy, though. I love with these kind of videos on sites. There should be like a social media site that's just this stuff, like just this and, and dash cam video. And to think, people want to take this from us. I know the U.S. I, government I, wants to take videos like this from us. You get to go. It's, I, you know what I love? You get to go into people's lives and you get to see how, how they live and, and how they operate. And, uh, you know, saving a dog on a site brings a smile to a kid's face. Heck yeah. Especially for a, a little guy like that. He's probably like the, the yard dog that just hangs around and gives everybody so much joy. And so when something like that happens, you know, you're going to do everything you can to save them. Okay, but there is a downside. There is a downside. I'm going to show you guys a video. Do not try this at home. The juice ain't worth the squeeze. <laughs> but here's the stupid side of the internet. Guys, roll this tape here. It's, a, it's an unfortunate video. These guys have a heist in mind. The stupidest heist you can imagine, Blythe. And okay. he's going through the sunroof, Fast and the Furious style. You can tell where this is going, can't you? Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like we should know how old these people are. Because <laughs> I've done some dumb things. Have you Have you jumped, like, from a moving vehicle to another moving vehicle? Um, no. But I, I was really dumb one time, I would say probably, like, 10 years ago, where I was on a boat. And we were sitting on the front of the boat, not where you're supposed to be sitting. And a big cargo ship drove by and we stayed in the boat and let's just say that we almost ended up in the St. John's River. Ooh, you know, boating is dangerous. I, I took sailing for Father's Day like years ago. My dad and I took sailing lessons in Boston Harbor and um, after like a week, they just let you go out there. So we were going and you know how you, you get cocky, you think you're good? Well, I almost crashed into a giant tanker in, in Boston Harbor. But as you can see, this guy's up here, oh. he's climbing to the top of the truck, he's throwing oranges back on his buddies. All this oranges for oranges, like Blythe. <laughs> In Florida, they, you could literally walk to someone's yard and get those are like clementines. I don't even know if they're oranges. Clementines are even like a third of the size of oranges. No, they're oranges. Never mind. Well, I like I'm that your Florida's coming out, though. So you're very, being highly <laughs> critical of the fruit that this man is risking his life to steal. I mean, I mean look, they are easy to peel. Do you think this is the first time they've done this? They, they looked pretty. They look professional. Uh, yeah, uh, no, that's definitely not the first time that they've done that. And uh, maybe not from a moving vehicle. That might be the first time that they've done it, but they've probably done it at a truck sitting on the side of the road. The Honorable Jim Sanborn says, this is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. And I was in politics. I feel like my IQ went down while I was watching this. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of dumb teenagers, though. So I feel like the context of like, OK, well, how old are these kids? And if they're not kids, then, you know, maybe sort of, you know, Darwin's law kind of comes into play eventually here. 
Yeah. Or next time they could stop it. Like, isn't it easier just to, like, I'm not advocating stealing, but if you're, like, escalating to the point you're stealing from, like, isn't it easier just to go into a market at that point? That's just, yeah, that, that just looks like somebody who's dumb and bored. Just dumb, dumb, dumb and bored. bored. Well, someone Bad who combination. is dumb and bored but wants to get smart about logistics, where do I send them to to find your show? Well, it's uh, everythingislogistics.com. It's a podcast for the thinkers and freight. We just got accepted into LinkedIn's podcast oh, wow. academy, one of 19 podcasts accepted into the program. So excited to learn more nuances about that platform, but hopefully, you know, get a little brand awareness and get more downloads and listens. That's what everybody wants, right? Well, we'll have to bring you back when you graduated from the academy to get your experience yes. and see if it accelerated growth and see if it's worth others doing, right? Yeah, heck yeah. I'm happy to help other people any, any way I can. Well, Blake, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate your time. Have a lovely week. Take care. And thank you, everyone, for joining me. This has been What the Truck. Find me at, on Twitter, at Timothy Dooner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Watch it on YouTube, on Freight Waves YouTube channel. Subscribe there. Hey, don't be a stranger. And take care. <laughs>